I'm Kevin Richard. It's no secret that Idaho politics has become more strident and more divided. A new group has formed to offset what it considers extremism in the state's politics. Mike Satz is a former University of Idaho law school professor and administrator who heads the Idaho 97 Project. He sits down with me this week to talk about the group, its objectives, and what it means for Idaho education. Well, Mike, thank you for joining me for this week's podcast. Let me start with a simple question, because I think a lot of listeners are probably just getting to know your organization. So what is the Idaho 97 Project? What does that mean as far as the name is concerned, and what's your goal? Sure. Um, So, you know, the Idaho 97 Project, it was actually born at the end of uh, last calendar year, uh, during the sort of height of this COVID and debate about COVID and all that kind of thing. And one of the things that uh, stood out to us was that most people were staying home and being safe. Mm -hmm. And the health district was responding to this group called the Three Percenters who were showing up with guns, trying to push their way in. And one of our early supporters said, but 97% of us are staying home. Mm -hmm. And we said, hey, that's our name, Idaho 97. Um, And and really the, the objective going forward from there, you know, we've since kind of moved early March, we, we started in more political advocacy, focusing on anti-extremism and that kind of thing. And the focus really is common values. What ties us together rather than what is, is the wedge that separates us? Um, that's what we see the extremists using in our wedges to separate people. And so we focus on things that, that, that bring us together as Americans, as Idahoans. And, and some of the things that you know that you see out there is most Idahoans want to see education funded. Most Idahoans want public lands uh, to be available. Right? Most Idahoans want sort of common sense health safety regulations and that kind of thing. So that's what we focus on. So it all kind of grew out of the pandemic and your, your desire to see support for, you know, the protocols that weren't in place. Sure. And, and you know, one of the things that we saw with, with those protocols that weren't in place, right, was that, that we realized, hey, you know, extremists are actually taking advantage of this COVID thing. It's not their, it's not their platform, right? It's, mm-hmm. This is really a symptom of the larger problem. And so that's kind of why we moved into this larger advocacy role. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of have three zones that we focus in. And, and one is health and safety that came out of the COVID thing, but we're still concerned about it. Um, uh, the, the second is, is, uh, is countering extremism and countering disinformation. Uh, disinformation is, is the main tool that's used by extremists uh, to get what they want. And the third piece is, is really making democracy accessible for Idahoans um, and holding our leaders accountable. So I want to talk more about education policy and sure. how your group uh, positions on education policy. But let me begin by talking to you about your background, because sure. you were a law professor. You were on the faculty. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you headed the U of I's uh, operations in Southwest Idaho. So yeah. your education background, how does that inform your education policy and your group's education policy. Sure, you know, so I've been an educator, uh, gosh, I guess it's almost 17 years now. And like you said, I was a professor, I went through administration, um, and I went through larger operations down here in southwestern Idaho. Uh, and really how it informs my my engagement on this is, is one, I know what's important to education, mm-hmm. but I know the whole 
um, sort of ecosystem of education from early childhood all the way up through um, very complex graduate education. Uh, and, and I know what it takes uh, to succeed uh, in that and to succeed and to build successful programs in, in that area, uh, in all those areas. And so, um, you know, that really heavily informs uh, kind of my observations and also the strategies we put in place. One thing that is uh, that a lot of people don't know is I am actually one of the very few uh, people in the state who's who've actually taught critical race theory. <laughs> right, right. It's an extremely complex subject, um, and it's it's a legal subject. It's a law school subject, although it's it's moved into some graduate programs as well. Uh, but when I hear these people discussing it, I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. That we we don't do that anywhere else. Um, and I'm again one of the very very few, if not the only one, who's actually taught it in the um, sort of uh, scheme that it was designed to be taught. I want to get to that more, but I let's bet you maybe do. start. <laughs> no, it's, right. it's, it's, right. too, it's too interesting to pass up. Yeah, right. But from kind of the 30,000 foot level here, mm-hmm. when we think about education politics in the state, there seem like there are areas that kind of tie into what you're talking about in terms of common ground. I mean, there's pretty widespread support for increasing teacher pay, even at the state house, even in the middle of the session. Uh-huh. There's pretty widespread local support when you have a supplemental levy on the ballot in yeah. the communities. I mean, that's something to build on, is it not? Absolutely. If you if you look at any poll about education in the state of Idaho, support for education is anywhere between 60 and 80 percent and this is you can talk about early education you can talk about early childhood or preschool uh, pre-k you can talk about primary secondary education you can talk about post-secondary education the support is very strong the support for our teachers is very strong uh, across the state Uh, and 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 that's you know that's something that's important uh, that, that we are we're missing uh, what we see happening is we see a very vocal minority that is very skilled at using communication tools. They're very skilled at using social media. They're very skilled at using it in email campaigns, at, at voicemail campaigns. They're very skilled at all kinds of communication. And, and we feel that they're really having an outsized impact on education policymakers. Now, at the same time, you know, we went down to the state house and we talked to lots of legislators. And 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 what we're hearing from a lot of legislators is actual fear, not just fear for their political careers, although that's there as well. But we're actually hearing act- stories about actual fear. There's people with guns in the state house. They're sitting in the gallery when we're debating, and and we're not hearing from anyone else. Well, of course, we weren't hearing from anyone else during COVID, mm-hmm. but. We have to step up and, and we have to unite around these common values. And we have to understand we're going to have differences, right? We're, we, Idaho is a conservative state. And so for, for people who are very, very progressive, we have to understand most folks here are conservative. And, and we have to sit down and talk. On the other hand, um, a lot of conservatives are hearing these stories about, you know, like I said earlier, critical race theory and all this kind of stuff, right? We need to talk and discuss what are we really talking about here? What are we really discussing and what are our values? And, and I suspect, and I, in fact, I know deep down that if we just sit down and talk, whether it's over coffee, hot chocolate, a beer, we're going to come together. We're, we're almost, our Venn diagrams is citizens uh, overlap in a remarkable way. And, and, and we need to really step up the rest of us to counter this extremist message that's out there. So how in that backdrop do you make a case in a conservative state for something like 
early education funding. Sure. What we saw with the grant and the debate in the House over that sure. grant. Sure. Well, that was a that was really abysmal. Um, and you know. Uh, what really happened is it became a toxic issue at the end of the day, um, and and people didn't want to deal with the fight, especially if you look at the end. If you follow our legislators, right, and you follow their social media feeds and you read their newsletters and things like that, they were working hard, um, and they were just exhausted. And I'm not sure they had it in them uh, to do one more fight after that round, uh, but. Um, what we need to do as citizens is we need to voice to our legislators what we believe and what we think. Uh, and, and the support for that pre-K um, grant was phenomenal throughout the state. I mean, it, and it wasn't something that uh, came from a liberal perspective, right? It was granted to the state by the Trump administration. The Trump administration. Uh, our, our congressional delegation worked on it. Uh, the governor wanted it. These are all staunch Republicans, and these are all very conservative people. Um, and our businesses wanted it uh, because, because we understand that the foundation to being a prepared worker in the business world begins in early childhood. Right? It absolutely begins in early childhood. And, and everybody knows this and understands this who deals with it. The citizens know what they need. Um, and so we have to do a better job. I think a lot of people were taken by surprise uh, by uh, the aggression uh, that came out from sort of the extreme right wing of the Republican Party and even farther right. And I think we have to do a better job uh, going forward uh, communicating to our leaders, no, this is what people want. This is where Idahoans are. Most Idahoans are middle, middle right. And our leaders need to be more towards that. And on the other end of the education continuum, you've got higher education. You've got the, the budget cuts that were made this year. Beyond the money aspect of it, because the universities say that they have plans to cover what they yeah. what they lost in the way of the cuts. What do those cuts say to you as a leader of your group and also as somebody with a higher education background? Sure. Well, it goes even deeper than that, because I'm also a minority. Um, but, you know... First of all, as the story has been developing about those cuts, um, and the story has continued to develop after the legislative session ended, uh, and one of the things we learned was it was a legislator that was the person who said right. this, and no one has seen this video, no one has seen any of these things. It sure sounds like we saw a ghost, and we said, oh, we have to make policy based on something that wasn't really there, or is at least highly questionable. Um, and that's problematic. Right? That's problematic in a lot of ways. Uh, one, uh, it, it is affecting people, people's lives, people's livelihoods. Um, you know, the Idaho 97 was, was heavily invested in protecting Jane Doe at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of the things that uh, we were involved in was, was helping people get uh, op-eds about why we don't out uh, sexual assault victims and, and that kind of thing. I called three different colleagues at the University of Idaho. All three declined because of the climate around mm -hmm. education. Not want their name attached. Yeah, and, and we call that the chilling effect. Sure. Right, and we call that, and that what the chilling effect is, is it silences free speech because people are afraid of it, right? And, and that's what we're really seeing, is we're seeing fear really pushing 
uh, people's decisions. We're seeing teachers who are afraid. We're seeing students who are afraid. But we're also seeing people pushing forward these uh, ideas uh, using fear tactics, right? They're using these fear tactics about CRT, about Marxism, about all this other stuff, where all the, the, the people who are involved in this, no one can actually find any evidence of it, but they're using it to stir up their base. So fear is just everywhere. Fear is permeating things. And the last thing that, that people need to really understand is it's one thing if you're a legislator and, and you're a white male and, and you think, hmm, maybe we should be careful about this and maybe we should just uh, pass a law to say, hey, watch out about this. But if you're a minority, a person of color in this, this, this state, if you're Native American, if you're African American, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, right, there's been a rise in hate crimes against folks. Um, and this kind of legislation, this kind of toxic atmosphere signals people that that's okay. And, and we can't have that. And that's really what's most disappointing to me about what, what happened in this legislative session is that we have some leaders who, who have really good leadership credentials and leadership experience, but they didn't stand up and do the right thing. And in the end of the day, my biggest fear is, is the outcome uh, for, for people in the community um, when they have to deal with people who are now emboldened by this kind of behavior. What do you think is the biggest misperception about, when we talk about social justice, which has sure. become sort of a, a catch-all mm -hmm. at the legislature, when there's discussion about inclusion programs or sure. diversity programs? Sure. What's the biggest misperception about those? The biggest misperception is that it advantages minorities, right? um, and, and that's just patently untrue. Uh, first of all, um, we have all kinds of programs that are focused on different populations based on um, what they need. Right? So I was, uh, when I went to law school, I was a veteran. Um, I had just been in the Navy for 10 years. I literally left the Navy, went straight to law school. I never even visited the school. I just went there. And that was a culture shock. That was extremely difficult for me um, to adjust to that, um, to adjust to literally three months ago I was afraid I was going to get burned to death in, in a fire um, and then here I am and, and I've got a, a colleague crying because an exam's coming up and I'm just like but it's not that big a deal but what's going on I really had problems adjusting to all this stuff and so we have programs in place for veterans who can deal with that kind of thing we have programs in place for for uh, women right, who, who are, are first-generation students. It doesn't matter um, if the first-generation student is coming from a farm or the first-generation student is, is, is a migrant and from a migrant family. Um, we have different programs that are set up for those folks. And so uh, to say that these programs you know, only affect this one group of people is, is wrong, but that's clearly what's being implied mm -hmm. right, in, in, in the, the, the discussion, the messaging, and the types of witnesses that they will bring up to talk about this. Right? It, they always go to race, right? Right away to race, right away to race, um, and, and that's just not true. I guess the same kind of question applies to critical race theory, you know, and your your own background teaching it. Um, I read an article a, a few days ago that made a really interesting analogy that said that critical race theory, it's a little bit like Common Core. A few years ago, Common Core became mm -hmm. a, a catch-all mm -hmm. yeah. for a lot of concerns people had, yeah. and some sure. you know, legitimate concerns, but. Has critical race theory become such a catch-all phrase that people have lost sight of what it 
really is. Absolutely. People don't even... When people are talking about critical race theory in our schools, uh, they're not talking about critical race theory at all, right? They're just talking about history. Um, I, I would be shocked if any, um, if any, if any K through twelve school was actually teaching critical race theory, um, because it's actually quite complex. It's and not more at the college level, maybe even the, the grad it's, school. It's, level. it's even the grad school level. The college level, you just introduce people to it and say, "Hey, this is out there," right? Um, but it's really the grad school level and law school level. It's really focused on. On, uh, on our institutions, on, on the laws, and, and that kind of thing. And it's not focused on this other stuff. And what they talk about when they talk in, the, in, in for example, the Lieutenant Governor's Indoctrination uh, uh, Committee and, and that kind of thing, they're talking about history, right, mm-hmm. is what they're talking about. Um, they're not talking about critical race theory. Critical race theory, it's, it's complex. Um, and, and, and frankly, it's, it's a very discreet area of, of, of legal study. Um, and, you know, you know, critical race theory was founded by a, a professor named Derek Bell, uh, who was a professor at Harvard. Uh, he ran into race problems at Harvard. He was an African-American, and he left, and he sort of took some concepts that came from another theory the conservatives hated in the 80s, um, which was critical legal studies, right, mm-hmm. and started applying those concepts to race. Um, and then it started growing on its own and becoming its own kind of uh, thing with some, some real interesting scholarship. But this idea of critically assessing the law, right, it moves through all sorts of areas of law. Right. It's in areas of law, just general law, critical legal studies, right? It's in, it's in gender, critical gender studies. It's in race, it's critical race studies. There's religion, there's critical religion studies, right? <laughs> and it's all about looking at these differences and how does the law engage uh, with, with people or how do our institutions engage with people? And that's how it's kind of moved into other graduate areas. And it becomes a question of are institutions disadvantaging a group or uh, applying... Uh, applying a certain level of, of legal, sure, you know, legal, sure, and, and you know, the, the answer is I've never seen it. All right, um, I, I have never seen it myself. Um, you know, the idea of critical anything studies is it's critical. Um, and the idea is to get students to think about things critically. Doesn't mean you need to be listening to that. It means you need to think about that. Um, and you know, one thing that's that's missing from this whole debate is that you're zeroing in on a subject matter uh, and saying this subject matter is the problem, right? But what they're pointing to as the being the problem is actually a a, a substantive issue of. How are people teaching the subject? Mm-hmm. Right, they're actually zeroing on. And if, if a student's uncomfortable, well, that means that teacher needs to be trained, right, in, in a better way to engage students. Uh, sometimes you're going to be made uncomfortable, right? If if it's you're at a high, the higher you go in education, the more uncomfortable you're going to be. Um, it's just like working out, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I know that you're a runner, right? And I know that, that there are days like today you don't want to run, but you need to train for something, mm-hmm. right? And you know it's going to be uncomfortable. That's the only way you can get ready for it, right? Well, it's the same thing in education is we, we sometimes have to be uncomfortable uh, to understand these ideas. Um, you know, the hardest thing about critical race theory for me wasn't teaching it to students, wasn't talking to white students. It was looking at myself and saying, hmm. What's my advantages here, and, and how 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 am I advantaged over these students, right? And how do I engage them? So I changed the way I taught uh, to deal with that. So I would empower the students over me, um, so that they would have more power in, in what they say. Um, but 
that circles us back to it. We hear all these things about students are uncomfortable, uh, students are being bullied and that kind of thing. There's no evidence to that. However, if that's the case, the issue is really about the pedagogy of teaching, right? And how do we teach the students, right? And how do we teach the teachers to teach? And that's where the focus should be, um, not, not on the subject matter. Theory it's and not it's the theory. not about the practice. It's about the practice, not the theory. Yeah, it's about the practice and, and, and not the theory, right? Um, and if, if if students are being made uncomfortable for for being who they are, uh, if students are being bullied in class, well, that's never okay, right? That's not okay by anybody's standard. <laughs> no teacher is okay with that. And if a teacher finds out that that a student feels that way, uh, the, the typical response is the teacher feels horrible. Um, and, and so, but, but that's what we need to be focusing on, if that's what the concern is, right? But to, to say we can't teach a subject, that's just straight up censorship. Um, and, and that is just not the American way. That's not the Idaho way. Um, we don't let the government tell us what to do here, especially in Idaho, right? Um, we study, we learn, and if we think that it's wrong, we speak up and we say why it's wrong. When I would teach critical uh, legal studies, um, the class was always evenly split between conservatives and liberals, mm -hmm. right? And, and people very far on, on the side. And and it was it's very interesting. I learned a lot from the conservative students, right? I said, oh, this is your idea. And they would talk about their idea. I was like, well, that's actually a pretty good idea. Let's talk about this some more. They learned from me, right? Uh, but that's the way to do it, right, is to actually have a, this kind of discussion. What, the way not to do it is, is to censor the subject and say we can't talk about this subject anymore um, because that's just... You know, that violates the First Amendment, that violates the rights of the teachers, that violates the rights of the students. Um, and that's just not the thing to do in a free society. Now, the thing to do in a free society is to have good ideas and to challenge those good ideas. Um, and and if, if there's a problem with the idea, it will fall in the debate. Right? The, the, the marketplace of ideas applies to the classroom. Absolutely. How much of this debate is being driven by the national discussion. I mean, you want to keep this an Idaho issue. You're, you're sure. trying to sure. influence Idaho public policy, but this has become a national firestorm. It is. It's heavily driven by uh, the national issue. Uh, so I think that um, any observer of Idaho politics, you know, I've, I've been here 17 years, and, and it's not, you know, not as long as others, right? But it's 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 a it's a decent amount of time to observe these kind of things. And and what I've seen is in the past, Idaho would follow. Um, other states uh, with these kinds of debates and discussions and that kind of thing. What has happened is Idaho has become the vanguard in the national debate and there are a lot of uh, organizations that are clearly focused um, on Idaho. Right? I mean these organizations supporting this in Idaho are getting their support from somewhere. Right? It's not all generic in Idaho. Right? It's not organic support. Uh, and so clearly um, there is strong national interest in this um, and, and, and they're looking at Idaho for these things. Like, so for example, the anti-trans bill in, in education and mm -hmm. sports, right? Um, started in Idaho, got exported across the, the, the state. Right? Dozens of states right. looking at it. Right, the CRT bill, we got it through first, bang, it went across much faster um, this time. Um, and, and so, so while I, I think that, yeah, we're focused on Idaho because we're an Idaho organization and, and our name is Idaho, right? Um, this, is, this is a national issue and it's something to discuss nationally, although they seem to be getting an enormous amount of traction in Idaho. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, not quite by name, the Idaho Freedom Foundation. And to, to a large degree, I mean, your messaging, your, your personal messaging, has been as kind of a counter to the Idaho Freedom yeah. Foundation. This is a group that's been around, has a lot of 
legislators, uh, you know, in in league with them. How do you uh, how do you offset that? I mean, in, in the end of the day, right? One is you have to offset the counter information at the popular level, and you have to figure out how to do that at the populist level. Um, the second thing is you have to shine a light on, on what they're doing. A lot of people don't support them, right? A lot of people would not support what they're doing if they actually saw that they're the ones who are behind it. Uh, but really, what has to happen is we have to start showing legislators, hey, if you're going to do what the Idaho Freedom Foundation tells you to do, then we're going to show you the door. Um, and that's not an easy challenge. And I understand that's not an easy challenge. But um, that's a challenge that we just have to step up to because what we can't do is we cannot allow this small group of people uh, to continue to dominate politics in Idaho. Um, if they want to be part of the political landscape, that's okay. Um, that's just the way the world works, right? But right now they're dominating the landscape. Um, and and uh, that's just something that we have to step up to. And we have to unite across parties across beliefs right across the state uh, to do that um, and this is not an easy task I mean each one of those is not easy right mm -hmm. the state right we have three states even if you look at how Twin Falls is getting uh, much more powerful economically maybe we have four states now right in, in our regional areas and things like that and it's historical issues with that historical issues um, with 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 people of different parties and independents in the state and libertarians in the state we have to put a lot of these differences down and we have to look at what are the core issues that we really believe in together and where can we find agreement there what's happening right now is is our core issues are being attacked right so we have a core issue that Americans believe in public education well public education is being attacked the Freedom Foundation Wayne Hoffman himself has said that he doesn't believe in public education that he want he would like to see that he doesn't think the state has anything to do with public education so we have to come together to counter that and sometimes that means sitting down if you're a very liberal person sitting down with a very conservative person saying where are our, our core values can we meet and discuss policy here Right now, we're not discussing policy. Right now, we're discussing destroying institutions. Mm -hmm. And it's a very different thing. And the paradox in this all, and I guess my last question, is you're trying to change this. Uh, you're trying to make these issues less partisan. You're trying to take some of the partisan you know, flavor uh, out of this. But in the end, it's going to have to be decided either in a party primary or in a general election. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Idahoans need to treat the Republican Party primary as the election. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's very, very important because there are a lot of uh, districts in the state where you can't, the majority of districts in the state, where, where at the moment a Democrat's not going to be competitive, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and so really who wins that primary is going to be the one who becomes that office holder. Um, and so we need to take the primaries much more seriously. We need to take the Republican local committees, the county committees, much more seriously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that the Freedom Foundation has been exceptionally good at is basically taking over these local uh, county committees, right? Well, a lot of these problems are starting down there. Increasing it, yeah. Right. Chairman level. Absolutely. Recent and committee so person level. what we need is we need people to pay attention to that. And when there's elections for the precincts, you need to show up, right? And, and at the end of the day, the most important thing right now is we all need to refocus on participating in politics again. I think uh, we've all become cynical to some degree or another. We need to put that cynicism aside and we need to focus on participating again. Mike, thank you for taking the time. I'm sure we'll be catching up maybe closer to the elections. Absolutely. Thanks for, Thanks for having me.
Again, that was Mike Satz, the executive director of the Idaho 97 Project. I should point out that we have invited the Idaho Freedom Foundation to appear on this podcast. The group has not responded to our repeated invitations, and we will keep you posted. That's going to wrap it up for this week, and it's going to wrap it up for the podcast. I hope you uh, keep checking in with us at idahoednews.org throughout the week. Even though it's summer, there is a lot of news breaking in the education space, and we will have the latest for you there. Follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. Uh, we tweet out our, our links and any bulletins on breaking news. Follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And check back with us next Friday for another edition of this podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a safe and wonderful 4th of July weekend, and we'll talk next week. Mm-hmm.